Hello clinicians and hello my peers. I'm so excited to be joining you yet again for another episode of the Becoming Healers podcast. Thank you for joining me. I'm your host Dr. Lerato Kate and I'm excited to be doing this alongside two important co-hosts. I hope co-hosts that you've come to love and admire and appreciate their insights as we navigate the season. I hope you're also enjoying this new format of doing podcasts and we are four episodes in today and I've really enjoyed journeying through this podcast podcast journey with a few more minds than myself or just the guests that we're talking to to navigate this with and I and I hope that it's making you feel like you're a part of a community and a conversation and this is your weekly check-in spot where we get to chat about the challenges of mental health that we face and relate them to the reality of the emotions that are paired with them on a day-to-day basis. Today will be no different but before we start I just want to remind us of the hard work we've done. I think it's so important for you to be able to take a moment to celebrate yourself. Yes, celebrate yourself. If you have listened to the past three episodes, that means you've made an intentional investment of more than 50 minutes, I'm sure, each week to listen and hone in on how you can improve your mental health vocabulary, how you can better engage your environment and yourself personally by understanding the mental health challenges and the emotions that are paired to that. So I'm proud of you. We're proud of you. We're proud of you. And we are cheering you on keep going and most importantly if this episode if these episodes are adding value to you please would you help us by sharing them with your peers colleagues and friends we want this to be common knowledge we want to find ourselves practicing an environment where these types of dialogues and conversations are encouraged but more importantly where the decisions we come to in conversations or the revelations we have in conversation are agreed upon and we take them as new standards of living and moving forward as we navigate our lives and as we do our days. So I encourage you to please share this resource onto people who you think need it. And most importantly, enjoy the conversation that we're about to have. The topic for today's episode is normally we move. And I want you to think a bit about how you just keep going and navigate grit as we delve into this conversation. Hello, ladies. Welcome to a fourth episode of the Becoming Healers podcast. Can you believe it? Like we're Halfway, halfway mark of the podcast. It's been crazy. Have you guys found this experience so far? And what does it mean for you to be a part of opening up about what it means to navigate or to expand your emotional vocabulary? Can you say um, wait, I knew it. I absolutely knew it. So for me, it, I think it was, it's, it's been very enlightening. It's been nice to share more than just you know, average stuff. It's nice to have that conversation. And I'm hoping that something like this creates more conversation. So I just like the conversation, the realness, the authentic conversation that we're having, I think is, is brilliant. Thank you. Thank you for your authenticity. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's been a team effort. So thank you for coming to the party and not holding back. That helps. Thank you. Precious you. I think I agree as well. Um, for me, it's been nice to also reflect on some of what we've been discussing. I think coming into the space, not as an expert, I think you also do a lot of reflection. So for me, it's been nice to learn about myself, but also it feels valuable to give input and also realize how far I've come on my own journey. Completely agree. You know, just appreciating how far we've come in our own journeys. And I think that really helps me segue into the type of conversation I hope we have. 
Today's episode is titled Normally We Move, you know, and it's really centered around this idea that we just are in this culture as a generation, as a people of things moving haphazardly. We don't really take the time to sit and understand or work through tasks. And I think particularly for healthcare professionals, it was ingrained in us in university when Life happened beside you and EOB was always approaching, so you just had to push forward to the next big thing. There wasn't really an opportunity to prepare yourself or to navigate emotionally what things meant. Whether you failed the block before or not, you had to move. Whether you failed the year before or not, you had to move. And I think that that made for really gritty people, <laughs> but but also then want to understand some some of the wounds that now present themselves as either toxic work cultures or how we perceive ourselves in our day-to-day. And when I looked up the word grit by definition, it's really not as negative as it sounds. It speaks to courage and resolve and strength of character. So quite a positive thought to think that if you're working towards being gritty, that's something you can get. But like I said, I think in our in our cohort and in our environment, COVID-19 also then adds to the way people have to show up and be gritty beyond anything and everything all the time. So my first question to you guys is really around that, that idea. I just want to find it quickly. When I find it, I'll tell you. Yes. I think for me, I, I, I got to a point where I recognized when reading this definition that grit isn't necessarily an emotion, but it is a mental state and a resolve that people have to choose because of, you know, what life is. And for you ladies, what has helped you maintain grit when working with healthcare workers? I think for you, Precious, as a clinician, and then for you, V, who sees them in their trauma state, which is which I think is, is is two really nice contrasting images. You know, you've got Precious who sees them on the day to day, and then V in in their breakdown. What has been the value of grit in both? Um, I think. No, oh, nice! No, both of you wanted to go. No, go. <laughs> That's a nice normally, you know me, Doctor Fisher. He's just like, eh, yeah, I'm just like, this. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, especially when you see that eye contact, like, so, um, so I think like in my mind, I'm thinking that like whenever, whenever I'm speaking to healthcare workers or speaking to medical students, I think it's always, it's either like in a talk space. So when you're doing a talk and you actually like giving them information or sharing knowledge or sharing experience, Mm -hmm. you know, and then. You, the questions that you get normally are like, how do you manage? And it's interesting. How do you manage your own anxiety? Like those are, those are the common questions. It happens almost in every talk that I do when it comes to medical students or healthcare workers. They're still asking this question. And I think because it's so unique, it's so personal. And I think because being in a crisis and learning to do things in a practical manner. So your mindset is practical. Okay, you're in a crisis. This is what you're doing. This is the action. This is the result. You know, this is the outcome sort of thing. And then after that, having to process it or reflect on it or and not having the time to do that. So you've actually now dealt with crisis, 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 crisis. And then that, and I wrote down when you were talking about, I was like being present, but like being present for yourself. Mm. And that's often Mm, a time space that I think a lot of, Medical students, healthcare workers, especially in this COVID space, don't even have. Sure. 
And I think it's taking out that sort of like, that, even if it's a five minute or three minute space to sort of be present and saying, okay, like, how am I going to manage this to continue? Me and Precious are both like, like, I'm sorry, but I think that's it. Self-care becomes like vital then. And Mm. I think a lot of the med students and healthcare workers feel like they're being selfish in that space. Mm. And I think that's, that's where we need to define that, you know, filling your own cup means that you're there to help others. So I think that's where that, you know, it's like a very fine line. And I think the boundaries come into play then. Mm. I want to touch on selfishness after I've answered the question when we have time. Um, Go ahead. <laughs> but I, I think for me, I, I look at grit like a marathon where you have to have, you build up that endurance. And so mm. grit, I don't know if grit is an intrinsic pers- um, trait. I think some people do intrinsically have a high propensity for grit. But I also think it's something that can be built up. And and for me, what I've learned, I think, personally, is that there are certain things that sort of bite away at my grit. So, for example, like the, the need for perfectionism versus excellence, right? That, that bites thing. away at your, at your grit, um, because please, can I? <laughs> sorry, go for sorry. it. I think this is so important. I think we really need to paint a picture of what a perfectionistic, for example, how we don't, I don't want to say person, colleague would be versus one who strives for excellence. Because I think the mere, like, we can identify with it because we actually don't have a comparator. Yeah. And what does it look like for us to put up something against our version of the truth so that we can see what the difference between high performing or excellence versus perfectionistic is? Because I think that is so important because you're saying it steals grit, right? But I don't think we know, we, we notice what it looks like. So as you're unpacking, please, if you can throw a few gems of what you've noticed, the difference for you has been, sure. that'd be great. So, you know, I'm not an expert in this, but I think just from what I've observed, I think perfectionism is something that is not sustainable. And it Mm. also is something that can paralyze you in terms of productivity because you're trying to make whatever task it is that you're doing or, you know, whatever it is that you're assigned to, you're trying to make it so perfect that it's almost impossible and uh, it creates a high expectation that you can't meet. Um, and so sure. I think even when you do do a task, for example, it's not perfect enough and you beat yourself up and that bites away at your endurance. Whereas for people who are high performing, I think the goals set are more realistic. And also when they don't achieve those goals, I think the conversation is different. It's not a conversation of, I have lost value as a person because I haven't achieved this. I just haven't achieved this today. Let's get up and do it tomorrow. Or what I have done today is good enough. Let's get up and do it tomorrow. So I think those are like the key differences that I've seen is that trusting yourself as a high performing person that, you know what, I am good enough. I can't do this task today. I didn't do it because of X, Y, Z. Let me try, you know, again tomorrow. So I think that, that's the difference that I've noticed. And for me, trying to get on track 
and moving away from perfectionism and kind of catching myself really does improve my endurance because I can go for longer periods of time. I can persevere. I can move through those failures or through those difficult times um, in a more realistic and achievable way. And also learning from it. Like, I mean, yes. the mistakes we might make, and it, it might not be big things, but I mean, if there's always like, and I think it's important to remember, there's always scope for improvement. Mm. Yeah. Do you know, like, and to give yourself that, that realization that it's okay. It's okay yes. that if I still have to improve, I don't have to know it all. I don't, and I will not know it all. <laughs> there will come a point where it's exactly. like, you don't know. It's not that you're not good enough in your value as a person, no. but this is an area in which you can improve. You know, as both yeah. of you are speaking, I'm just firstly um, moved by what you both said and, and how you both spoke to the idea of presence, the idea of awareness, and the idea of, you know, that grit is something that you build over time, but even as you build, things can tear down on that grit. And the one thing that came when you were speaking is just this this awareness that we need to be able to dissociate ourselves from our context and our environments so that we can keep keep recognizing the value. Because I think of the clinical context and I think of how, sure, it's fine to not strive for perfectionism as a person and to to be goal-orientated and to be fair for your, to yourself when you don't achieve those goals. But in the clinical context, it's so black and white that oftentimes it's easy to find the mark between you've passed and you failed. And so then you go home and you need to study for an exam and you exert that same level of expectation on yourself, not recognizing that this is a different activity and different rules can apply. There's room for leniency here. It's not life and death. So just helping ourselves also, you know, really delineate and, and compartmentalize so that we can have longevity in our grit or experience longevity in our grit and have grit for the right things in the right areas. So I definitely think that's something that's easy to struggle with. And then obviously the the conversation about just perfectionism, which is really, really, really a topic for another day. <laughs> it's a whole topic, definitely. Because I think our, our, our cult and I think a lot of what we call grit is perfectionism in medicine. And that's what makes it hard is that's we get badges of honor for having grit in medicine. That's the truth. And, and that's where I also want to bring in something that was really contentious, which is this idea of the hero of COVID-19, you know, in, in most, it's <laughs> just not having it's like my worst thing I hate. <laughs> I know. So, so I know that, that, that that's something that was blatantly expressed often by many of my friends, colleagues, and peers to say, we don't want to be anybody's hero. I don't have a super cape. I'm not vaccinated. I might die. I don't want to, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be a martyr. And I don't think I'm patriotic enough to be here and be proudly your hero. But at the same time, we're the same people who, who hold the badge of honor for the grit that you can do a 36 hour call. You know what I mean? So I think. I think we almost compartmentalize where the heroism was, you know, because every other day when you're on call doing Superman things, it's grit. But when the, when people in the country took a moment to try and honor what they were seeing as grit, it was deeply rejected. 
Can you guys maybe speak on on the the tension then? Why you think that was, and and what healthcare workers were actually trying to express, and why they didn't want to be seen as having grit in that way? I I think that the two conversations are a bit different in terms of like, okay, you've done a thirty six hour shift, you were doing crazy recesses, and you know you're a hero. Which I also think there are problems with that. And, sure. and then I think the, the conversation around being a hero in terms of the pandemic, I think, you know, one of the reasons why it was so, why I felt like it was toxic was because it didn't leave space for the humanity of yeah. healthcare workers to say that, listen, we have needs just like every other employee. You know, if you're looking at people mm-hmm. in retail, you're looking at people in commerce or wherever. We have needs just like them, but because we are put mm-hmm. in this category of being heroes that we will still go to work without PPE, we will still be out here, you know, flying like Superman and doing the most with yeah. the least. I felt like that was, that was toxic. And, you know, the conversations that, that was kind of in line with the conversations about resilience as well. Resilience is necessary, but when you put it on a pedestal and make it a, in a hero type of way, then I think it doesn't give room to say, actually, I'm not okay. I need support in such and such a way. So that's the problem that I personally had with it because why do we have to be heroes? Why can't we just do our job like everyone else is doing their job and get the resources and support necessary because it becomes an HR issue as well, um, in my opinion. No, 100%. And I think what you're also highlighting here is that because we've, we've spoken on the fact that grit is quite an internal thing, that external mm-hmm. pressure really pulls away at whatever is available internally to show up mm-hmm. and have grit. Um, so absolutely. Uh, v, any thoughts from you? I think I do have actually. So that was interesting because that actually made a lot of just the way you worded it was, was, was like absolutely perfect on the mark, right? And I was just thinking that, you know, like when, when we say hero and exactly that way, you know, you don't have the, when, when they say hero, you don't have the space to say, you know what, I'm not having a good day today. I'm feeling a bit down. I'm feeling a bit weaker. My, my anxiety is, it's not doing well. I, I can feel it and it's coming up. But as a hero in that sort of space, if you put it in that block, that one, that hero won't ask for help. Mm. And that almost makes that, no, as a healthcare worker, you're struggling through this. Yes, you're experiencing all of this, but you don't need the help. So it's an indirect, like almost an expectation mm. to say that you're perfectly fine. You don't need the help. You, you're, this is what, this is what you've almost signed up for. You yeah. are the hero and this is what you have to do. And I think we need to move away from the hero concept is because humans need help when they need help. Mm, that's good. And, and that's the reality. We, we're all humans. If we get hurt, if we fall down, if we need medical attention, we need that medical attention. Whether we are a doctor, whether we are a nurse, whether we're a normal person that's just going to university. Mm. So I think it's the concept of, 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 you know, that expectation. And then almost like the healthcare workers that were in that space and that actually like, oh my goodness, the, the world is saying that we're heroes or the country is saying that we're heroes. So now we expect of ourselves to be heroic. Mm. And that that's also another mental state that, I mean, 
a medical professional is going to then put themselves in and they're going to be like, okay, so we need to be the heroic people because we are being called heroes. Mm. So that label becomes very, uh, it, it extends more than what, you know, what we are saying. Yeah. It's like an internal feeling. And I think that's not actually fair for any human being to actually experience. It's not. And at the end of the day, I mean, after that strife, you just like, all you have is a label, but there's yeah. no, there's no compensation or sort of remediation for this high intensity period. You're not getting because, more, you're not getting time because, off to go and recover. You're not getting no. help. You're not getting resources. And that's the problem I have with that label is that it takes yeah. the responsibility off of your employer, okay. uh, you know, of kind of compensating for this period. Yeah. Yeah, because if you work harder, if you're doing a project, for example, in any company, you're doing a project and you're working harder to complete this project because your deadline is three days from now, you're going to get a definite say, you know, good work, good job. This is like, you know, sort of like, sort of like is exactly what you're saying. You're getting that back on your back. Whereas if you're doing it as a healthcare worker and you're working a 36 hour shift, you're like, okay, it's fine. The next one's coming now. So good yeah, night. Thumbs up. Good luck. Tomorrow. Yeah. Or the, you know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I love what you guys are saying a lot. I have two thoughts, probably questions in my mind. So I think that as we're speaking about the environment, the context and how it contributes to people having grit, it's making me wonder around, you know, what are the things that can affirm or help people generate grit in a healthcare context if you're, if you're working in that environment? And I, and the word affirm came because I think it starts with leadership. You know, if you're, if you're in an environment where awareness is not stripped away from you, where a hard day is called a hard day, but you're affirmed that you did well. Where a good day is called a good day, but you're affirmed that you did well. I think that puts a more positive spin on grit. And grit doesn't then have to mean survival or removal of your personal self-awareness of what's happening to you, in you, around you, to be able to be gritty. And I think that's what I enjoyed about what V was speaking about as medical students who are so conscious of what they've signed up for because of, I guess, how many people have been complaining over the years that they're trying to, to build this reservoir of grit that'll help them maintain longevity. For you guys, how do you see that, that type of ecosystem playing out? What does it look like for us to positively contribute to ensuring that grit can be cultivated, not just at a personal level, but, you know, as peers working in this really challenging ecosystem? It's a big question. Big question. Uh, <laughs> and I think I was just seeing like, I almost have an umbrella of different mm. categories in terms of how to approach the problem. But I think the first thing is categorizing like the internal. So what can I do? And then categorizing it at almost like a colleague level and then at a managerial level. And I think I'll go into the workplace because that's the, the question. I think colleagues are really, really powerful source of, um, support. 
Mm. And they really help with endurance. It's like, you know, when you're going jogging and you want a running buddy, that is your running buddy in the marathon. And so, mm. you know, leading onto that, another important um, aspect is really team building. And that is on us as, as teammates, but it's also on our team leaders. And I don't think they're always equipped to do that. I don't think it's an easy job to do. Team building. So I would say there, and I mean, even looking at, you know, industries like banking, for example, at the high end of banking, they have people whose jobs it is to like coach you to make sure your psyche you know, is ready um, because they realize they're working with high performing individuals. And when your psyche is on it, there are better outcomes. And so I think we don't necessarily look at our human resources in that way or our human capital in that way in the healthcare industry. We do actually have really high performing people. And there are a lot of things that kind of steal away from that psyche. And so I think that there could be a lot more effort put into intentionally addressing how do we keep the psyche of our human capital where it needs to be? How do we keep motivating this team that is really running a marathon? So I think those are the the two big things I would say are the team building and intentionally doing it. And then also us as colleagues finding that support in one another. And I think that is actually done well, naturally. Yeah. 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 I think that's exactly what I wanted to touch on was like that support structure, that support, you know, with each other. And actually, you know, even though, and I know that like there's a long standing situation between like leaders and then students and then like, I mean, supervisors and then students and how it actually works in between. But I think it comes down to support and it comes down to being human and be having that humanness and actually being like, okay, how can we? within ourselves, encourage ourselves and then share that and mm. not keep it. Because I think a lot of um a lot of this med students or medical doctors or even any healthcare work within a hospital often keeps their experience to themselves. Mm. They're they're not too keen to share it. And I think, you know, if they share it and allow that and I'm gonna use a big word, it's like vulnerability at this point, if they, if they share that vulnerability, sometimes sharing that almost creates that platform to say that, you know what, I can support you, you can support me mm. and we support each other, which creates that sort of, that, 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 that notion of support. And I think that makes a big difference. Yeah. I think that makes a big difference. You, you guys, as, as you both are speaking, I'm almost seeing that there's almost an underlying mentality that that keeps our version of grit in a negative connotation. And the mentality, or at least the words that came to me and the feelings I think I resonated with when I was doing internship, is just this chronic, whether it's minor or huge, fear that um, you're doing something wrong, that somewhere something is going to go wrong and you are doing something wrong. And if that's the frequency with which you operate every day, and I think it's so, like, it's so possible, like you clocked a patient, you forgot, I think I didn't do a UNE there, or I think I didn't take this there, or I think I didn't. That's subtle, but very present. I think you're doing something wrong on top of the expectation of the ideal doctor, which we haven't actually quantified or fully expressed. There's no like post on the door that says the ideal doctor does X, Y, Z. 
then we aren't constantly living under this pressure of having to survive our negative version of ourselves every single day, which is deeply, deeply exhausting. That's exhausting. <laughs> you will not finish exhausted. the race. You will not. And, and it's, it's traumatic. Mm. That is like, that is that, like, you know, that constant negative talk is yeah, going to create negative that talk. trauma because then when you in, like when you're done, and then you're actually now in your space and now you finish your registrar, you, you're now done yeah. with your internship and you're done with all of this and now you're a doctor or you're a medical professional and you're in the space and you still have that negative talk. How does yeah. it impact the rest of them? Mm. Like how does it impact when you're a supervisor and you're still having this negative talk? And, and I think it's so, I, I mean, it can play out in so many scenarios, even if it's not, if, even if yours is not, I'm doing something wrong, someone else's maybe I'm not done, you know, because in medicine, the yardstick keeps moving, you know, you're done with your <laughs> comp serve. No, you're not. You need to go specialize. You're done specializing. No, you're not. You need to open a practice. You open a practice, uh, but are you really a specialist? Maybe you must go get a subspecialty. Okay, you do it. Okay, let's go get a PhD. You're never done. After the PhD, okay, let's get the postdoc. So the the constantly moving yardstick also creates this this negative area in terms of our grit where we really aren't chasing the full potential of who we can be, but we're actually avoiding not being that person who wasn't um, finished or not being that person who didn't, who didn't, um, do something wrong, which is really tiring. But I think my point with this whole spiel was that you guys both spoke to this idea of community coaching. And I think in my journey personally, mentorship has been instrumental in helping me put up the right mirror towards me, not the industry, not my peers, just for me and having people ask me hard questions about what I want, where I'm going, what the final picture looks like for me. So that even if it's not something people agree with, know how to get me to or accept, I know at least that my grit is coming from an authentic place. It's because I'm actually fighting to pursue who I see myself as and where I believe my greatest value is and not just what I'm afraid to not achieve, which is a whole different perspective. Mm. That, was, that was really, like that when you said part. that, like that, Ooh. you know, when you said that, that concept of achieve, like, you know, when you said postdoc, PhD, you're in the whole yeah. thing, right? It's very interesting because I just had a thought that when, when, a medical professional, so a medical student and becomes a doctor and Dr. Pershing, you can answer this and Dr. Katia, but like when you finish, right, you finish something and then when you want to do something else and you want to specialize and then you want to do this, are you doing it because you enjoy the studying and you're used and is that your, <laughs> like, okay, so it's not enjoy the studying, but like, are you, are you doing it because you know that you have to keep moving to maintain that level of, of like crisis, if that makes sense. That's I, I don't so know deep. if I'm wording oh it right. Oh my gosh. Maintain that <laughs> like, level of crisis. <laughs> no, but what? <laughs> you get what I'm trying to get at. Like, do we maintain, yeah. is it to maintain that level? Is it a competition with others? Is it an internal expectation and competition? Is it, what is it? When do you realize that my authentic self wants to become 
for example, I finished my medical degree. I want to specialize. I'm going to become a gynecologist. Mm-hmm. Is yeah. it because I want to become a gynecologist or is mm. it because I need to become a gynecologist because of X, Y, Z? I think there's so many, there's so many different reasons. And I think, um, there are some people who are genuinely like, this is my passion. There's nothing I see myself doing in terms of specialities, I would say. Then there's other people like, I don't want to just see everyone. I want to really be good at one thing. And this is what I've chosen to be really good at. Um, or it's financially driven. I want to make X and Y amount of money. So that's what I want to go for. And then I think a lot of people find themselves almost on like a train track. They haven't made any of those decisions, but they've just found themselves now in a part one and doing speciality um, without really, really critically thinking about it. And I think for me personally to answer this question, there's also that external pressure, right? When you are a doctor and people always it. ask you, oh, okay, so like when you're done, what are you going to specialize in? And it's like, oh. well, I actually did graduate. I'm done. Um, but <laughs> you know, like, so what are you going to specialize in? It's always a question and not just in the medical mm. space from everybody. Mm. Um, barring like ignoring the fact that there actually are so many different pathways you can take. And so if mm. you do decide to come off of that train track, I think it's, it's a little bit challenging because you're okay. really going against the grain. Of options and also outside of the grain of, of mentors, because there's not a lot of people who have done that. So whenever you are with your supervisors or people who are mentoring you in the space, they kind of look at you blankly when you say, okay, well, I want to go do public health or I want to do management consulting or I want to do, you know, whatever, oh, healthcare innovation. And then they just look at you like, what are you even saying? What are you talking about? Why are you, yeah, (laughs) you know, like those two things are not compatible. Um, And so, yeah, for me, I've figured out how to put my passions, like kind of authentically hear what my passion is and go towards that and not try to find that passion in the sieve of the medical specialities if it's not there. Yeah. What about you? What do you think? This question is heavy, man. You can answer it from so many different perspectives. And I think Precious (laughs) did so well because she really spoke to the crux of, I think, the thought process that people go through when they do choose a path in medicine. There's there's so many motivations to why you end up specializing or why you don't. You know, people, I think there comes a stage in your life when pursuing medicine isn't your only life goal. And that becomes a critical point. You know, you start to see yourself as a whole person who's got other areas in the world or who's got other values or who's got other areas of their life that they'd like to find themselves pursuing. And this is the most, it's time consuming to be in medicine and it's time consuming to pursue any path, I think, whether it's clinical or non-clinical. So when people put themselves finally at the center of their world and ask themselves critical questions, I think then it's a question of, separating the goal from the persona and that's something that I also had to learn and I think it's something that makes what you you know you're alluding to true I think there are some people who are authentically chasing a goal that's 
innate to them that they're aware is a goal. And then there are other people who are probably chasing a persona, you know, that this is what it looks like to be a successful clinician. And I won't be that until I navigate that persona. And I think it takes really strong willed, strong minded and strong willed people. And I think a really clear sense of who, who you want to be in the earth rather than what you want to do. And for me, that's always been the the clear delineator. I mean, I remember in my third year, I knew in my third year I didn't like the mold of medicine. I wasn't saying I don't like medicine, but I knew clearly that whatever whatever setup is happening here that people are picking, this is not me. I had no clue at that time what it looked like, but I was so sure that this is not me. I mean, I'll never forget, it was one... Sorry to whoever this... I I forgot the doctor's name, so maybe that spares the identity... But I'll never forget <laughs> this one weekend cover in varsity. Our registrar was late for the round. And she had, you know, that sleep line that just shows you had the best sleep of your life. Um, when you've like indented your face somewhere, she walked in like that. Yeah. And I was like, actually, I don't want this problem in my life. I want to wake up and have breakfast with my family on a Saturday morning. This is not for me. Does that mean I don't want to specialize at one place in my life? I don't think that's true. But I think for me, it became clear that I want to be able to set up my life in such a way that I'm not chronically choosing this and it's not chronically taking away from the opportunity to live my life and add value in the places I believe I can add value beyond the bedside. That could even be relationally with my family, you know, the family I have now and the family I hope to have. Um, and I think it's so important to see that more and more, Doctors are becoming aware of the fact that their, their vocation is an opportunity to add value in the world, but they don't see themselves as being stuck there in terms of adding value. And they want to be able to find ways to pursue that value personally or otherwise. So I think that's, that's the tension. I think there are genuinely people who it's a persona that they like. You know, social media is not making that any easier. There are people who are making their lives look like glory. Um, and it becomes easy to find that mold and to fit into it. And then there's your personal truth. You know, what is your truth? What, what do you want? And I think if you're clear about that, it becomes easy to create grit internally. Because you know, you know where you're going, you know what your why is. And I think also giving ourselves the permission to have grit fluctuate. I mean, I choose this all the time. I love everything about my organization and the work that we're doing. It doesn't mean some days I'm just like, yo, can I please just have a break? And the same can apply for somebody who's doing registrarship. You know, I know so many people who know for without a shadow of a doubt that what they're specializing in is what they want to pursue, but the weight of the environment that you have to do it in doesn't make it any less easy. So I think we also need to be cognizant of the fact that sometimes we catch people um, in the valley of their cycle, you know, if, if this is what life does. And yeah. and in the valley, it's going to sound valley-ish. And on the mountaintop, it's going to sound like I'm thriving. Yeah. But we yeah. all, there's ebbs yeah. and flows to everything. And so it's just giving ourselves permission to to understand that that's just, the process of life. But I think for me personally, cultivating that grit has been about being clear about what I want my value to look like and then aligning myself relationally with the mentors who can help me pull that out. And I think that's also important about mentorship, you know, making sure you don't choose a mentor who wants to make a copy of themselves, but somebody who's actually invested in trying to figure out who do you need to be in the world and how do we get you to be that, even if it's something I've never seen and done before. 
Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was just thinking about it, and that's why I was like, no, I must ask. Yeah. Because I think it's valuable. It's valuable. Young people will will like take that and be like, oh, okay, so I can go another way. It's it's yeah, about me also. Exactly. And I think yeah. that's valuable. But also like yeah. because you're not seeing yourself reflected in where you want to be, it doesn't mean you shouldn't be there as well. Come on. Um, because that's there's a lot of people like you know what you just said now, Lerato, about. When you were sitting there, you were like, mm-mm, the same me. No, the same me. Nope. But it doesn't mean you shouldn't <laughs> be there. It just means you don't want to yes. do it like that. But you still want to do it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. In your own way. I, I don't want to so do it like that. And I think, yeah. and I think we, we also need to just, and I think these are the things that cultivate grit within yourself is really outsourcing the people who do look like what you want, even if they don't come from where you come from. That's been a very, very helpful tool for me in pursuing this, whatever it is I'm doing, is really finding the mentorship I need. And right now it looks like connecting with some Australian guy, nine hour time zone shifts, but it's helping. He's exposed to contexts that I feel I don't see in South Africa to the ways of leadership in medicine that I don't see in South Africa. It doesn't mean they don't exist. Maybe I'm not exposed. Do you know what I mean? But I think just being on a chronic hunt and looking for people who can, who can mirror you in some way, even if it's a one way, makes a huge difference. And I think on that point, I also want to say that part of the tension of the grit we find in medicine is that we've been almost taught to worship the ground that people before us have walked on and put them on pedestals. And when they're on pedestals, they're unreachable. But my exposure to them in the corporate setting has led me to believe that they actually want to be on the floor with you. There's so many more of them who who feel like, man, it's the end of my career. I have so much value to add. I wish I could find people to pour into. But because we've been taught... You don't talk to profs. You're an intern. Like <laughs> you don't like you don't do that. Um, but that's but that's not always the case. I mean, there will be some people who put the boundaries up. But Peter Ann said it in season two of the Becoming Healers podcast when she was just talking about her journey with Wardworks. Ask man, write an email call someone who you know is affiliated and that can help you cultivate the environment you need for the grit you desire to pursue what you want to see yourself pursuing as opposed to trying to fit into the mold of what you think the ideal clinician should be and assuming that that's something you should do by yourself and I think that's also something we don't do well we're not very honest about the help we have in terms of who we become in the space and that's something that I, I also struggled with for a while. I said, how, how are people doing all these things? People have help and it's okay to need yeah. it and to have it. They do. Yeah. And yeah. That, that does form a part of your endurance. It does. Hundred percent. Ladies, I'm out of questions. <laughs> was my question the last one? Oh my god. It was big. <laughs> I, it was a big question. And unless you guys have any parting or closing thoughts before I ask you the question of the season, which is how have you been kind to yourself this week? I want to say something, but I, do, but I actually I think oh, this week hasn't fine. ended. That part. So I want to find. Good save. It ended. So, um, I'm hoping by the end of the week, I can at least get 
three sessions of yoga done by the end. Come on. That's, 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 that's what I'm going to try. It's been a long. Well done. Go ahead, precious. Ooh. And I'm planning my wedding. So both of you guys, isn't it two months for you, precious? I'm so excited. Yes. Oh my God, is it two months for you? Don't stress. Don't stress. 80 days for me. 80 days. 80 days. It's also true. Guys, we need countdown timers, please. Yeah, I had we need countdown. I had to do the countdown. Precious, you have to do the countdown. No, we started. We started. We have to. Whew. Yeah. I think kindness to myself. I'm doing university applications now, and I think it's very, oh, it's very nerve-wracking because you um start having to ask yourself very serious questions again. And sometimes you feel, you know, that imposter syndrome. So I've just been kinder to myself. (laughs) I've been kinder to myself about that. Like, actually, I'm great. It's okay. And that's okay. I'm great. And (laughs) that's okay. Yeah, that's how I've been kind to myself. Not looking at, you know, my, not my weaknesses, but not looking at how I have failed necessarily um, only, but also looking at how I've succeeded together. That's how I've been kind to myself. Well, then, yeah. Well, then, and the lessons learned. Mm. And the lessons learned. Mm, exactly. And you? Uh, for me, I think it's really trying to cultivate an, aspect, an atmosphere of rest. So not trying to exit a state of rest, even when I'm working. Really just trying to find, Ooh. yeah, find ways to make rest my baseline. You know, we've spent a lot of time in this podcast talking about the states of distress and then into crisis. And I think I've come to learn that for me, being rested in my soul is actually the the thing that catapults productivity, catapults creativity. And I'm not good when my, my soul is anxious. So just finding ways to to steady my soul so that in all things, at all times, I'm moving and operating from a rested space. It's been the hardest thing ever because for me, I think I've always considered rest an idle activity, but I'm learning that there's power in producing from a calm place, there's power in not mm. being rushed and then just being kind to myself. Like today I wanted to see myself do something by a certain time, but because I felt a bit ill, it didn't happen. And then shifting and adjusting so that I can still value restedness and also learning what cultivating a restful atmosphere means to me and finding the rhythms in my day that help me remember and behold that I'm doing good things, I'm doing important things, but I don't have to rush through them for for me to put the, the stamp of productive on it for the day. So, yeah, yeah, I think I'm still finding the words to figure out this little season season I'm in, but I'm hopeful that once I figure it out, it's going to help a lot more people than just me because I think... Yeah, I was, I, the, I, my prayer this week was I don't want to I don't want to work from beast mode anymore. Beast mode is exhausting. I want I want a different mode. I want glory mode. And I think there's something really restful and peaceful about operating in your full glory and and in your power. And that doesn't have to be a rust beast mode or a state. It's exhausting. <laughs> like I don't want, I don't want that anymore. I'm not going to defense. No, exactly. So I'm being kind to myself by actually just exploring that space. I think it's something my soul has desired for a long time. And I'm taking care of my soul by pursuing it. 
That's romantic. Oh, cool. I think I learned something. Yeah. Really. Thank you. That whole beast mode thing. <laughs> I was like, oh. I'm not a beast. I really am not a beast. And I think it's something that we've like again. Grit looks like beast in medicine. Exactly. Know? And it's I don't know if it's working for us. I don't know. Maybe for some people. For me though, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Thank you, ladies, for an incredible episode as usual. And we'll see you again next week. <laughs> Thank you.